0: Welcome to Naked Reflections, brought to you from the Wolf Institute. I'm Ed Kessler, and each week I'll be taking an in-depth look at the stories reported by our friends over at the Naked Scientists. What does the latest scientific stuff mean for the rest of us? Stay with us and find out. The novelist John le Carre once memorably said that memory was just a whore. How often do we skew our recall of past events to show ourselves in a good light? For contrasting reasons, there are some things we would rather forget. Here's Professor Michael Anderson on the Naked Scientist podcast.
1: So we believe that a lot of the forgetting that people experience is actually not accidental. And it's not just due to the passage of time or to the crumbling of memory traces, but things that we do to use our memory and also to protect ourselves. We have constructed a laboratory procedure which I think mimics the circumstances of motivated forgetting as they occur in the real world. And we set people the task of trying to forget in the scanner and we watch their brain as they do this. And we hope to document the brain regions involved
0: in that process. On an individual level, I think most of us would recognize subconscious forgetting or self-aggrandizing remembering but can those things happen on a national and religious level too? The biblical prophet Isaiah speaks in terms of forgetting the past for the sake of the future. Remember not, he wrote, the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing something new. To what extent we forget the past clearly has an impact on memory and on identity. And of course, memorializing something painful in a nation's history can be used as a weapon. Memory is our subject this week, and my guests are Christopher Wadibia, Wolf Institute PhD scholar who is studying the Pentecostal Church and development in Nigeria, and Philip Luther Davis, who is coming to the end of his PhD about aspects of Israeli identity and nationalism, particularly in an urban setting. Plenty of memory in Nigeria and Israel for us to discuss, I think. So let's start with you, Christopher. You were raised as a Nigerian in Alabama in the deep south of the United States. Are there things that you try to forget? Um, I think from
1: a religious perspective, uh, when I look at countless biblical examples uh, in in the book of Genesis with the character of Joseph um, or the character of David um, in the Old Testament, I think the notion of memory in particular helped these individuals to be able to progress in life. And personally, as, as, a, as an evangelical Christian, I try to use biblical examples to inform my own personal conductivity. And so I think when it comes to whether or not there are things that I try to forget, I don't think it's wise just to forget something without exploring any opportunity within that experience for personal growth.
0: What about you, Philip? Are there things that you try and forget?
2: I, I would echo Christopher and say that there's a lot um there's a lot can be learned from trying to remember what we're we've tried to forget i i grew up in israel um and so when i came to so through high school and uh, going into early adulthood was uh the beginning of the second intifada and it was a pretty stressful and traumatic i think you know not just for me for many Uh, people in Israel and Palestine at the time and for a long time afterwards it was just a period of my own personal life but let's say also the life of the country that I just didn't want to revisit and it was only much later uh, sort of before my uh, MPhil at Cambridge that I thought that you know maybe the years sort of 2000 to 2005 are worth excavating and exploring again but for a long time i just wanted to forget it
0: so really forgetting was replaced by the desire to remember yeah how about that apply in the nigerian context christopher because there is a mm-hmm. lot of i mean you think about israel in terms of of conflict uh but also in nigeria it's had its own issues and own conflicts and, and still does oh yes absolutely i think in the nigerian
1: context the issue of memory is extremely relevant because Nigeria has between three and 500 different ethnic tribes. And so there's a lot of inter-ethnic strife and has always been within Nigeria, going back to the Biafran civil war from 67 to 70. uh, Currently that you have the, the conflicts and the skirmishes in the Niger Delta that have to do with oil and petrol dollars. And in the Northeast, of course, you have the Boko Haram insurgency. I think it's also important to relate the idea of memory and forgetting or remembering to the notion of one's socioeconomic station in life. Because in Nigeria, which, you know, recently there was a report, I think it was um, CNN or Time uh, Time Magazine that said that Nigeria overpassed India as the country in the world with the world's highest poor population. And I think that when one is in a position, uh, socioeconomically disadvantaged position, and you exist within a country, uh, that is Nigeria, that has very strict socio-cultural power relations, the poor individual can only do so much to uh, ameliorate and enhance their situation. And I think that when you kind of contextualize Nigeria and the, the rate of poverty, poverty is also, it's something that it makes one want to forget perhaps the ways in which one is naturally disadvantaged in society but at the same time i think that there's 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 a dualism there because fundamentally nigeria is a society in which injustice is 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 rampant particularly socioeconomic injustice going back for example to the the nigerian civil war which i believe was the first Um, African Civil War to be televised on on television, and you see these African children that are starving. One to three million individuals lost their lives. Of course, these are things that contemporarily individuals would want to forget. However, if you forget that, you might at the same time leave yourself susceptible for that recurring in
0: your contemporary society. I would imagine, Philip, there are a lot of resonances with your own research there. Uh,
2: Yes, that that, that did... um get me thinking um, in terms of Israel. And when you say Israel, you also have to think of Jewish history. I say history, but then I often wonder if the plural should be used of histories. Because in creating a national identity, which involves a kind of uh, remembrance, there's this element of forgetting. And so one of those things that you might forget, say in the case of um, the Israeli people as understood as a Jewish people, are those histories. And I think that to some degree, a lot of the, let's say, political problems that we see in Israel today stem from what has been forgotten. For example, whether that be the types of histories that existed for Jews in Iraq and North Africa and and, uh, Iran, Persia, versus the histories of Jews that lived in, in Europe and North America, which of those is forgotten remembered has actually in terms of creating that israeli national identity has effects today because it means for half the population which is that say the mizrahi the sephardic population there's almost no sense of memory what comes is say european jewish history so it becomes one history that's remembered and then this creates you know, different kinds of dislocations. And, and I think in many ways, we see it coming to a head today uh, in Israel.
0: Interestingly, Philip, you're talking about conscious forgetting. You have to remember something before you can choose to forget it. And, and the melding, if you like, of a national a narrative, a, a myth, if you like. And, and what we see, what I'm hearing is both of you saying the same sort of thing, the creation of a narrative in Nigeria, which suits mm. the group that has the power and the creation of a narrative in Israel that suits the group in power. I would have thought, Christopher, in the Nigerian context, if if mm-hmm. if a, a country is going to be created called Nigeria, rather than the group of individual mm-hmm. tribes or uh, individual faiths, one has to create a single narrative. Would you agree with that? It depends on who is initiating that creation.
1: Because historically, it was the British that initiated the concept of mm-hmm. a Nigeria Rather than the Nigerians themselves, and so you know going back to Sir Frederick Lugard, who was the first Governor General of Nigeria, you know Nigeria received its independence in 1960, but it, its uh, existence as a British colony, this far predates that um, by multiple decades, going back to the early 20th century. And so the notion of Nigeria is very much a British construction, uh, even when Nigeria received its independence it existed as three different spheres, the north, the southwest, and the east. And it functioned as so. But then over time, uh, in throughout almost four decades of horrific military dictatorships, and in particular, the discovery of oil in the early 1970s, I, I personally think uh, that the worst thing to ever happen to Nigeria was the discovery of oil. Because it, it, prior to Nigeria's um, reliance on oil, and today, about 90% of Nigeria's economy comes from its reliance on oil. Nigeria was big into agriculture and had a more diversified economy. But with the discovery of oil, I think it crippled any sense of working to develop the country and, as opposed to just in relying on petrodollars. A notion of Nigeria has never been a, an, an idea of the Nigerian people themselves, really.
0: And of course, the British legacy is a familiar one in the Middle East as well, isn't it, Philip?
2: Uh, Yes. And and what Christopher's saying actually reminded me that when I was, let's say, in a bit of um, a writer's block with my uh, dissertation, one of my perspectives is too often we give too much credit to a narrative and any narrative, whether it be fiction or historical, depending on your perspective, there might be one and the same thing has to have some kind of consistency by looking at african scholars and especially indian and pakistani scholars i looked at the british period differently so say in israeli scholarship 1948 is the sort of breaking point you know what came before was almost sort of theological and almost not that important if you think of uh, colonial authorities as part of the history of the state that we call israel so that then it begins say in 1917 then you have a very different sort of perspective of time and perspective of how that process of, say, we call it forgetting and remembering happens. So in many ways, what is forgotten is that, say, until 1948, everyone uh, between the Jordan uh, River and the Mediterranean Sea, Druze, Jewish, Muslim, Christian, was under one single state. And now we still have a sort of political power that is divided as such in terms of who has rights and who doesn't but we can maybe perhaps think of that political power as having a much longer history than one that begins in 1948.
0: You're listening to Naked Reflections with me Ed Kester, and my guests this week are Christopher Wadibia and Philip Luther Davis. From a neurological point of view memory is a highly complex thing. Here's Dr Amy Milton on the Naked Scientist podcast.
3: There's lots of different types of long-term memory. We can have memories for individual events. So you remember that this morning you went to this location and you bought your cup of coffee and you might remember the person who served you. you might, you'll might you remember your individual order and so on. That's an event memory that we sometimes call episodic memory and that depends on a particular brain area called the hippocampus. Alongside that you will probably have formed an implicit memory, a sort of unconscious, much more motivationally relevant memory that the coffee from that shop is good, that location is a good location and you may find that next time you're just wandering past that you feel drawn into that location because you've had something good there before. And that type of memory is stored in a different part of the brain, which we call the amygdala. And that kind of unconscious or implicit memory, you can't pass that memory on in words.
0: Some writers have tried to put that sort of memory into words. Marcel Proust, for example, called it involuntary memory. And it's the opposite of the sort of political memorialising we've been discussing. I'd like to develop and talk through the concept of memory in terms of a weapon. Because we're very good at creating, remembering certain things. We're very selective, aren't we, in what we remember, both as individuals, but also as societies. Um, Christopher, in your research, when you're particularly with the growth of the Pentecostal church, does that have a kind of Mm -hmm. institutional memory in the context of Nigeria?
1: Mm -hmm. I would say absolutely. I think um, Nigeria, because of the sheer size of its population, which is um, more than 200 million people, it's about almost one, one out of every five Africans, continentally speaking, is Nigerian. And because of Pentecostalism's rapid growth within Nigeria, particularly around the southwestern region, a lot of the historical narrative and development of Pentecostalism has very much, in a way, I would argue, Influenced how scholars understand um, African Pentecostalism in general. And so I would say that also because of the interaction of Pentecostalism and the state and Pentecostalism and politics, anytime uh, an entity interacts with politics, it can become weaponized as a tool. And in Nigeria, religion is oftentimes a tool that is used to mobilize the masses, particularly in Nigeria, in a place of Uh, elephantine, Muslim, and Christian populations. Most of the time, the the two religions live quite peacefully, except when there are elections, and politicians use religion as a tool to mobilize and manipulate, especially the undereducated masses. And so I would say, also, understanding Pentecostalism's history, particularly with the church that I study, the Redeemed Christian Church of God, there's this idea of Nigeria, as being the country that's going to lead the world's salvation. And that's very much imbued within the Pentecostal narrative, um, particularly contemporarily speaking, and how Nigeria's Pentecostal leaders understand Nigeria's place within the global state of affairs in terms of the world's evolution, um, eschatologically speaking.
2: I was also just thinking that if we think of uh, weaponization has a negative connotation, there can be ways in which uh, religion is perhaps not weaponized, but my, we might want to use the word mobilized in ways that can be, let's say, overall aimed at uh, what, what we might consider uh, better outcomes or more progressive goals. So within the Jewish polity of Israel, religion comes in, but also aspects of ethnicity and race. On the one hand, let's say remembrance, let's call it, can be mobilized to to raise issues of, say, a systematic um, inequality in Israel's towns, so that if parents happen to be uh, Mizrahi Jews, more likely than not, you're coming from working class or poor background. So, in the hands of some of these politicians, you described this is weaponized to sh- to sort of use to attack, say, the court systems, used to show look, you've been betrayed by the liberal elites and so on. There, it's weaponized. On the other hand, used by different actors this remembrance is mobilized to say there are historical issues with the foundation of Israel that need to be addressed. We need to remember it, but in a way that isn't to club someone else, but to address those injustices, to think about how those peripheral towns are developed, how uh, Mizrahi culture can be represented positively in Israeli society and that kind of thing. So I agree that often it can be weaponized, but there must be, a, I think I would say, the positive way.
0: Well, let's tease out some of the tensions there, because you've both been talking within faith traditions, within Christianity in Nigeria, within the Pentecostal church, or within the varieties of Judaism in Israel. But of course, both countries have significant other communities. In Nigeria, as you mm. were saying, Christopher, almost half the population are split equally between Christian and Muslim. And, and in Israel, uh, at least 25% of the population are not Jewish. Um, so what happens when these encounters take place and I'm particularly interested in going back to this thing about memory when there's this deliberate forgetting if we have the if, if as part of the human condition we're wired to forget things why do we fail to do that when it comes to the situation of these conflict environments I would suggest that
1: memory is also a form of currency social currency political currency and in Nigeria because of the uh, nature of the economy, which is so geared towards oil dollars and petrol, petrol, um, petrol capital, it's a highly intensified uh, space of competition for these resources, uh, particularly because it comes from the, the single uh, source of oil. And I think that any opportunities, particularly when it comes to religion, that politicians have to leverage religion and memories associated with religion. Uh, Through my field work and in interacting with, you know, countless Nigerian young people as well, I always find it interesting when I ask them questions about, you know, say you're Yoruba. What do you think about individuals of the Hausa tribe or the Fulani tribe or the Igbo tribe? And a lot of times I'm shocked by the manner in which there's this this elemental sectarianism that is very much imbued into their psychologies. And so because of these, these tribal identities, and then on top of that, you have the layer of the religious identity. Forgetting, in many ways, could almost equate to a loss of investment. And so because memory can serve as such a powerful form of political and economic currency, Individuals don't want to forget that time in which, you know, they might be a, a Yarba Christian, but how some Muslims slighted them. And vice versa, because in the future, when they're running for office or something, they might want to, you know, recall that, uh, ne- that story and articulate it to an audience to mobilize the masses, weaponizing religion for either, you know, as, as Philip was saying, positive or negative purposes.
0: Philip, the physical resources in Israel are far less than in Nigeria. Um, in terms of uh, competing over petrodollars or petrocurrency, as as Christopher was suggesting, what are they competing over? What's the currency
2: in um, what I put it like this in the Holy Land? I would say it's off the top of my head. I would say it's pain. So you get the sense that for the majority of um, Jewish Israelis, they just want to forget 1948, and they don't want to be reminded about it. Then in terms of, say, remembrance of um, things like the Holocaust and other pogroms, this pain is unsullied, so to speak. Palestinian Muslims and Palestinian Christians as well, for that matter, what happens is they have no acknowledgement of their pain. They cannot forget and they cannot really move on from 1948 um, as they see it as the catastrophe, the Nakba. What happens then, Saying the interaction and that contact, as you called it, Ed, is sometimes you have people um, who might feel a lot of guilt and they try to go for reconciliation. They try to have a mutual recognition of pain. And then there's others who, they remind me of that line from the Pesach HaGadav, like that they, they harden their hearts. They decide, you know what, we we did this terrible thing and it was right and we're not going to say sorry and we're not even going to acknowledge that it caused pain. So in that context, in terms of currency, I would say maybe pain isn't the right word, but acknowledgement, this sort of acknowledgement that pain that my people suffered, my people, whoever those people might be, is legitimate and that therefore their right to live in the Holy Land is also legitimate.
0: So is there a competition going on? in both these places that you're specializing in a competition over victimhood i would actually say it's the inverse it's not so much this
1: notion of victimhood as much as uh who is the winner who is superior it's it's very darwinian in that sense uh because if in nigeria if you are the the uh, the victim uh, no one's going to come and you know commiserate with you the, the the courts are not going to come to your defense but if you are the winner, everything is at your disposal. In Nigeria, it's very much a winner-take-all system, uh, politically speaking.
2: Mm. And I, I, w- I wish in Israel it would be that uh, simple. Unfortunately, it's a bit of both. You want to be the victim, but you also want to be the winner. Mm. There's a sense of, like I mentioned before, unacknowledged pain. Then it becomes perhaps a bit of a competition of whose pain is... Uh, worth more or worth less, and then there's also uh, no one wants to be in, in, in Hebrew. It's from German, a friar. No one wants to be the sucker, the loser. Uh, it's actually, there's there's a lot in what you're saying, Christopher, that I can recognize. Certainly from, uh, uh, let's say, the political side of things in Israel, um, it's very zero sum. I guess is mm-hmm. the way you would describe it. My victimhood has got to be better than yours, and. In addition, I am still strong. So it's this very Mm -hmm. big, almost paradoxical thing in, say, the heart of the mainstream Israeli political psyche of being the biggest victims, but also the best army and the best country and the startup nation. We're the best, but we're also the, the biggest victims.
0: We're drawing to a close. And I guess I want my last question to be what lessons there are about learning from the past for the future, if you like, There's the Latin term memoria futoria, memory for the future. So from each of your own experience, your own research, how should we evaluate the past in terms of memory? Is there any lesson, any guidance that you can offer us? Uh, We'll start with Christopher.
1: Nigeria very much does not want to fall back into its uh, military dictatorship uh, historical proclivities. And I think remembering what life was like under those conditions is essential in order to keep the state from falling into that uh, cycle. However, what's fascinating is that Nigeria has this proclivity for recycling its executive executive political leadership. Um, Nigeria became a democracy in 1999. Uh, President Obasanjo, who was president from 99 to 2007, was military head of state from 76 to 79. The current president, Mohamedou Buhari, was military head of state in the 1980s. And so it's also interesting because these individuals, more than probably anyone else, remember what it was like back then. But if you don't have the political will, if you don't have the developmental will, and if you don't have the economic will to progress as a state, memory will be relegated as a weaponized tool for political advancement and the proliferation of unequal systems of society.
2: I'm Philip in the holy land in Israel Palestine people take history very personally for the wider jewish people one thing that we should perhaps remember is that jewish life has been rich and hasn't been a never-ending history of pogroms that there's more to being jewish than suffering and tragedy and what should be forgotten is perhaps, maybe it, it served its purpose in time, is the is this mythos of Jewish suffering as being this theological thing, that there's Jewish histories, and this way there can be space for people from the non-European parts of the world to tell their stories, to tell their fond memories of what it was like to be in Baghdad or Tehran or elsewhere.
0: Well, that's all for this week. Thanks to my guests, Christopher Wadibia and Philip Luther Davis and thanks to you too for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with any comments or reflections of your own, you can email nakedreflections at wolf.cam.ac.uk. Let us know what subjects you'd like to hear more about, and how you'd like us to cover them. We'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, you can find more episodes of Naked Reflections, and subscribe to Naked Reflections podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or at nakedscientistscom reflections. Do join us next time.